You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode was recorded live at the Manor Vale Lodge. Conversations on Dance at the Vale Dance Festival is generously underwritten by the town of Vale. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Conversations on Dance here at the Vale Dance Festival. My name is Michael Sean Breeden. I am one of the hosts of the podcast, Conversations on Dance. Uh, we were so lucky to be joined by my co-host, Rebecca King-Ferraro, earlier for the first half of the festival, but it'll be solo outings from here on out. But what Aww. I've lost in the host, I've gained in guests. I have two guests today. <laughs> James Whiteside, principal dancer with the American Ballet Theater, and hello. Spencer Lenane, who is joining the Vail Dance Festival as scholar in residence this year. Hello, hello. Hi. So James, we've had you on like at least a half dozen times, so we know like your whole life story and then some. Uh, but Spencer, it's your first time, so maybe yes. you could tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in dance. Oh, um, from like the beginning? From the beginning. Yeah, oh, we, that's okay. what we do on this podcast. We'll go way back. Um, so I was a kid, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked uh, like ice skating and like dance shows, so I was always moving. So my parents put me in dance well they put me in everything they put me because of the moving they were like we're just gonna put you in everything and see what works so I was in like gymnastics I was in dance I was in theater um but dance stuck specifically ballet yeah so that's kind of how I started what made ballet stick for you compared to the other things were well, you physically talented in the other realms or was it just like ballet was what was I kind work? of I started with ballet and I stuck with it so mm. it's what I did first and what I really liked yeah so when when were you kind of um realizing that that was a, a career path you wanted to take and you were going to be mm. more serious about it um probably like 2011 i did an american ballet theater summer intensive i know it well you know it well yep. <laughs> um and i was like whoa this is really cool you can do this professionally i want to do this mm -hmm. so yeah you've actually done a lot of abt summer intensives mm -hmm. how many have you done i think 
eight or seven. World record? Maybe. I, I think <laughs> it's. I I've, I think it's the world record. Uh-huh. I swear I hold the re- world record. So then, what is it about ABT that kept you coming back? Mm. Well, there's a couple things. I loved it there. I thought it was the best. I loved being in New York. Um, I also was training scholar three times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kept me coming back. Um, yeah, I just thought it was great. I loved the teachers. I loved the friends. A lot of my friends are I met through that intensive. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I'm just thinking, you've, you've been at the ABT summer almost as long as James has been with the company. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's been a so while. So you both look a little different from that, I presume. <laughs> um, James, you've been very candid about recovering from an injury, but we're at the part of the story that we all love where it's a little bit more in the rearview mirror. You just came back um, your first Met season at ABT in four years. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that specific journey. You know, it's, it's like the most important part of an ABT season. And so how are you recovering from the injury, getting, prepping yourself for that? And then what was the actual experience? Yeah, so I ruptured my patellar tendon in my left knee, for those who don't know, in uh, December of 2021. Uh, I think COVID and being able only to dance in my kitchen for a year and a half probably affected my body. So sadly, I injured myself quite seriously and had to have surgery to reattach my tendon to my kneecap. Trigger warning. Too late. Um, and, you know, it's been a very, very difficult road to recovery. And so I did my first Metropolitan Opera House spring season. Well, I guess it was the summer season this year. Uh, this past, uh, we started in June, went through July. And, uh, you know, m- the male principal repertoire is completely unforgiving at ABT. I did Romeo and Juliet, Swan Lake, and Giselle in a span of 12 days. Insanity. And especially for a man recovering from a very serious injury, it was a lot to prepare for. And so um, I had been doing shows previously, but never so condensed and such intense repertoire. I did Romeo and Juliet at the Kennedy Center in February, and that was really difficult. It's one of the most demanding male principal parts in our rep. And honestly, I felt kind of terrible, but it was a very important step for me. So coming back to the Met, my first thing was Giselle. That is notoriously difficult as well. And it has been so, so hard. I would not wish this recovery on anybody, uh, even an enemy. And I have plenty. And it's just been really hard. And I'm really proud of myself. And I don't feel incredible yet. Frankly, I still every day am working through and trying to get stronger and stronger and stronger, and it sucks, but I feel like I look decent. And uh, with that grand endorsement, I invite you to come see me, me perform. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, something I've always thought is interesting about ABT principal life is that you often only have that one shot. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? And maybe in particular, what, what that's like... Um, recovering from an injury, maybe that's preferable now, but do you ever feel like it's a lot of pressure on an individual performance? So being an ABT principal is like living at the Olympics for your whole career. Every time is your one opportunity to get a gold. So I had one show each of Romeo, Swan Lake, and Giselle. You prepare as much as you can. You rehearse all day, every day, killing yourself to prepare. You go out there, and you get what you get. 
and it's different every time, and that's the beauty of live theater. It's ephemeral, it is special, but it is a lot of pressure, and nobody puts the pressure on us like ourselves. So we have very high standards for ourselves because it is our passion, and we are obsessed and mentally ill, and we <coughs> love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> back to Spencer. No. Um, sure you want this? <laughs> <laughs> Pass it on. Uh, I'm ready. Spencer, could you talk a little bit about how the opportunity be, to be scholar-in-residence at the Vail Dance Festival came about for you? Oh, okay. So I post videos on social media, specifically TikTok and Instagram, um, and I've gained sort of a following over the past three years. Um, uh, and Heather Watts uh, just DM'd me. She saw one of my videos um, and invited me, and yeah. Okay, to clarify, sort of a following entails one and a half million people <laughs> having eyeballs on everything you do. Um, but, so maybe this would be a good time to bring up social media and kind of uh, both of your relationships to, to that form. Um, you know, how, did, how do you grow to a million and a half followers? And then what is that like for you? I mean... Do you feel pressure to have to constantly put out content? How does it relate to you as an artist? Like, what is that balance mm -hmm. like for you? Yeah, um, there definitely used to be pressure. I felt like I needed to post every day to please an audience and also keep the algorithm happy with me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we're, I... We're back to mental illness. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Um, but now it's definitely, I post when I want to post. I post what I want to post. Um, I post when I feel like I want to post. Um, it's a lot more about me than feeling like I have to conform to this social media life. The monster that you monster. have to feed. Seriously. Um, but what, what even garnered you traction in the first place? Like when did you start to realize oh. that people were responding to what you were putting out there? Well, I started doing this in quarantine when I was really, really bored. Um, and I was doing TikTok dances. I wasn't doing anything ballet related. Um, and people were watching those, and I don't know why, because they're really not good. Um, but people were watching them and following me because of it. And I, was, I mentioned in like a, a video like that I did ballet, and people were like, oh, we want to see that. And I never thought people were, were going to care about that for some reason. So I, I just I didn't think about it, and then Someone mentioned, we want to see it. So I posted a ballet video, and it did really well. It got like 600,000 views. Um, and it was literally just a video of me doing a double tour and a couple pirouettes. And I was like, OK, period. Like, <laughs> um, So yeah, and then it took on from there. And then I started, I don't know, really getting involved with like choreography and like making them more complicated. And then like going around, I film most of my videos at my house, so I would like be in my kitchen or my backyard. And I have a Marley Square, um, which is like a piece of floor that I just would lug around my house because I like the different backgrounds because I also like the videos to look beautiful like aesthetically, um, like the backgrounds, yeah. Not to get sidetracked here, but I realize I just glossed over something that could be really important. Mm. Does Heather Watts have a TikTok? No, but she has Instagram, <laughs> and if you have Instagram, please follow Heather, Heather Watts. Yeah. It's literally the best follow. She's incredible. I love her Instagram so okay, much. But we need to get Heather on TikTok, perhaps. Yeah, I'll convince her. <laughs> I'll convince her. Okay, so, so James, tell us a little bit about your relationship. I, I'm curious to social media. I'm also curious what you might think of, what life might have been like if it had been 
something we were growing up with. Like, if you were Spencer's age and had TikTok and all these things, like, how might that have impacted your early career? We did have it. It just was different. Facebook. It was Facebook. It was MySpace. <laughs> it was YouTube. Um, and I, I partook of the fruits, you know? I made videos. I made music videos. I choreographed things. I put them on the internet. People seemed to enjoy them, thus encouraging me to continue. And I think if I were Gen Z and I was enjoying TikTok uh, as like a young person, I think I would be much better at it than I currently am. But I also think it would have I would have been doing the same things in a way. It would look different for sure, just because that's what happens when you grow up in different times. And uh, I have really enjoyed the internet, and it has brought me um, joy, an interesting life, money, opportunity, and that's all, period. <laughs> does, does it ever affect your actual artistic output, or is it just something that exists like in a wholly separate world? Like what you're doing on stage, is it ever related to what you do on social media? I mean, I think the way I dance now is because of the videos I make. I think the way my technique has evolved because of my videos. Um, it's just changed the way I dance. Like I look back at my early COVID videos and I see someone who sort of doesn't understand what they're doing with their body. I mean, I'm doing ballet, but it doesn't have like emotion behind it. It's just dancing. But now I'm, I feel like I'm dancing, if you know what I mean. So you're, you're kind of using it as like a, criti a tool to critique your own dancing yeah. as well. Like yes. not just putting something out there. Mm -hmm. That's Definitely. I'm not. I don't Definitely. know if I've heard that. James, I feel like you're, you're more so using it as a tool just to be silly and have fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was professional already before I started my Instagram. So um, they don't have too much crossover, honestly. It's just for fun. And I don't know, it's, it sounds a little um, overly direct to say that I just enjoy the opportunities that it has afforded me. Right. Uh, I want to circle back, because you were talking about how difficult it is, the preparation for a full length. Um, and maybe we could compare and contrast like what you're doing here at Vail. You, you're still completely you know, packed schedule. But what is it, what's the difference between you know, pre prepping Siegfried simultaneously with Albrecht versus I have like four or five short 10-minute you know, things that I have to do? Like what, what are you doing different in your daily routine? Well, I mean, Romeo is a three-hour ballet, and I'm on stage for probably 75% of it. So, and the dancing is insanely difficult, and you're carting your, your woman around for you know half of it. So <laughs> it's just different than going out and doing a little ditty. Mm -hmm. you know. And so you, you go to rehearsal, you go to the studios, you go to 890 Broadway to, to work on your ballets, and you rehearse all of them every day. So I'm not just doing one three-hour ballet a day. I'm, I'm working on everything. And obviously, you don't run everything every single day because you would literally die. Right. But you know, it's just it's grueling, and it's very important to us to present our best work. Mm -hmm. So you try. It's just, it's, I think it's so interesting because everyone has like their different wheelhouse. Mm. 
And I remember like the very first thing I ever got to work on as a stager was Increases with Isabella Boylston. And she was so nervous for this little 14 minute ballet. And I was like, don't you do two and a half hour full lengths? And she was just like, I don't know, it's different. I don't know, I'm panicking. <laughs> she gets nervous but for everything though. <laughs> that's, you know, she holds herself to a really high standard. Right. And that's why she's so incredible. Right. And then we were talking to Christine Shevchenko about her Kitri debut. And I remember being astounded at how doing 32 poites was just like the like the peak of the performance. Mm -hmm. you, like for a debut, you would think the most technically different difficult part would be something that would be overwhelming. And she was like, no, that's my, you know, that is my safe space. That's mm -hmm. like, we d I did that since I was 11 years old. And mm -hmm. so it's like the character is what makes me nervous. So for you, like what, what would you say? Like I, you're like these 10 minute ditties there. It's not gonna compare to my Romeo like <laughs> pressure. Honestly, I get nervous for every show, and I don't know, it, it changes. Sometimes I feel super confident, and then I go out and do a shit show, pardon my French. Sometimes I think I'm gonna be terrible, and then I go out and slay. So it's very confusing, uh, and it's never the same. You know, mm -hmm. I, I would consider myself to be quite a consistent performer, but that being said, there are variables, you know, you like all of a sudden you have props to deal with and there are uh, extras on stage like in your way and stuff. It's always, there's always something. There's no such thing as a perfect show, at least not for me. <laughs> Definitely, I feel that. Yeah. Wait, I want to hear about extras in your way. Yeah, like, um, well, Don <laughs> Q, you mentioned Don Q and there's like, there's this whole vill village scene. You're, you have so many entrances through these archways and through people and, and Oftentimes I'm like, I have a guitar or like a tambourine or something and I'm like, excuse me, move. <laughs> They're sort of ambling along with like, you know, like meat sticks and like chickens, you know. <laughs> so good. Uh, um, maybe Spencer, can you talk a little bit about what being a scholar in residence entails? You're obviously you're performing at the festival, mm -hmm. but are there other duties or um, experiences that you're getting to have here? Well, I mean, just being with all of like the best ballet dancers in the world, that's incredible. Um, taking class every morning with you guys, it's super cool. Um, I'm performing in a new Larry Kegwin piece, um, which I'm really excited about. Um, I'm also doing a Cunningham piece that I just found out that I'm doing a couple days ago. Um, so yeah, I had my first rehearsal for that yesterday. Um, but yeah, just being here is really incredible. James, do you know what the music is for the Larry Kegwin? You're going to be jealous. No, tell me. It's on the radio, Donna Summer. You're going to live. Why am I not in this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just come, just be in it. It's I'm fine. just going to come like put on some high heels and stand in the corner yeah. and pretend to be Donna Summer. I'll, te I'll teach <laughs> you the choreography. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sad now. Uh, <laughs> is there any sort of like mentoring component here? Like, have you, have you been able to work one on one with some of the great coaches that are available at the Vail Dance Festival? I mean, Heather. Yeah. Is incredible. Yeah. Everything she says is is correct. She's yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's awesome. Um, yeah. Heather um, Larry's been great to work with. Mm -hmm. um, I think he comes in today, um, so I'm excited to see him and show mm -hmm. him. Can you guys, the piece? you've worked extensively with Heather as well, James. Um, what is Heather like as a coach? I mean, people often cite her as like a major influence um, on the podcast, but maybe we can just dive into it a little bit more. What, is, what exactly is she bringing out of you as a dancer? 
Mm, she's just fun. She's funny. And when you're working with her, you have a good time and you're not nervous. Um, she always knows what to say. Um, and she never makes you feel, I don't know, bad. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all, we've all had the I've worked with her very little. Um, but my experience thus far has been really good. So, yeah. What about you, James? Are there any memorable moments with Heather? Yeah, I mean, I've worked with her on so many Balanchine ballets, and I feel like she is very unique as a person. Her personality is exuberant and excited and, and joyful and can be very funny, like great sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So working with her, you have the pressure of living up to all these ballet greats who have done these Balanchine ballets before you, but you also have an incredible support, someone who treats you like um, they believe in you and they want the best for you. And, and you don't always get that from the front of the room. She's just hilarious and she cares so much. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you hit upon something interesting that I've just started to think about. Like, when you know, when these ballets are being made on you, like if you're a Suzanne Farrell or whomever, you know, you don't have that pressure, that love of having to live up to some sort of ideal or fantasy. And that is something I think a lot of people experience in those ballets. But Heather does a really good job of making people feel like they can bring their own voice to the ballet. Or what anytime I've seen her coaching, it's she's really trying to make someone be themselves in the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ballet's tough in that way. You know, a lot of the work we do is interpreted work. So I'm interpreting, you know, Siegfried, Romeo, Albrecht, whatever, Prince Desiree, Sleeping Beauty, uh, any Balanchine ballet. It's like everybody knows the best performances they've seen already. So when they come to see me do Siegfried, they're like, oh, I saw Julio Boca do this, and it can't top, he can't top that. You know, so every time I go into one of these roles, I'm like, gosh, it's, that's a heavy weight. Mm -hmm. um, and as I've gotten older, I've gotten so much more comfortable with who I am as a ballet dancer. I've always been quite comfortable with myself as a human, but as a, as a performer, as a person who interprets these roles and is an actor, I guess, uh, you let that fall away and you become yourself and then people are able to fall in love with you because you're so unafraid and unashamed and generous with the performance. I think that's quite important. Mm, you are an actor. Or you shall be shortly. <laughs> I want to talk about, um, you know, you have this incredible book that you are adapting into a one-man show, and that's going to be just after, a little bit after Veil, right? So can we talk about maybe how that, we'll talk about the book for a second, and then how the idea to um, take it to stage came about and what that process has been like for you. Yes. So um, Penguin uh, bought a book from me, basically. And this was before COVID. I finished it during COVID. It was a great time to write a book. I don't know if you all know this. Um, and it came out in August of 2021. It's called Center Center. And if you haven't read it yet, um, warning. <laughs> it's not for children. It is very adult, very adult themed, very real and funny and weird. And I encourage you to pick it up and buy it for everyone you know. Thank you for the royalties. <laughs> So I was approached by a theater producer to adapt the book into a one-man show. And I did, and he liked it. So it's being produced for the Aspen Theater Festival's Solo Flights program, which is a whole week of one-man shows, or one-person shows, one man in my case. Um, and the, the title of the play is called Dead Center, and it is a funeral for my dance career. <laughs> and I am acting as the eulogizer. 
and telling stories about my dance career and all of the time we spent together. And it's a little preemptive as I'm still dancing, but I wrote it while I was really injured and unsure of my future in performing work. So it is weird and funny and there are songs and dances and it is wildly inappropriate and I encourage you all, if it does indeed come to a town near you someday, to grab a ticket. <laughs> what is that? Uh, I mean, have you ever done acting before? I mean, obviously, like, the work you do at ABT and then you've done outside projects like The Tenant where it's, like, very acting heavy, but you're not actually using dialogue. Um, have you done yeah, that before? I mean, What's, are, we, is, are we nervous? This is wildly <laughs> daunting. I am terrified. Um, I am comfortable speaking, honestly, mm -hmm. so that's not really the problem. Memorizing an hour's worth of lines is going to be tough. Uh, I have not sung on stage live. I make music in the comfort of my living room and my bedroom, and I produce it highly on a computer, so it's like not real at the end of the day. And this is singing live. I think there are six songs that I wrote, and... Uh, it's terrifying, and it could be the most cringe thing you've ever seen in the world, but I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. <laughs> Let's come back to VL for a second. So, Spencer, you are doing a Cunningham work and a Larry Kegwin mm -hmm. premiere. Yes. James, what do you have on your plate? So, I've got Spring Waters, which is a, an old Bolshoi acrobatic pas de deux that I'm doing with Isabella Boylston. It's super fun. It's opening the program on Friday. I'm doing Romeo Balcony pas de deux with Catherine Herlin, also ABT principal. And then I am doing a Merce Cunningham piece called Crowd Spacer, which I have never performed before, and I am learning. We haven't finished learning it in the shows tomorrow, so good luck in the audience. Uh, and then I have uh, the new Justin Peck premiere on the Now premieres evening on Monday, and that is uh, it's structured around class. So in ballet class, you start at the bar, you do plies, you do tendus, and you progress throughout the bar. And the whole piece is structured around that sort of ritual and that focus that we have every day. And when I say every day, I mean we do ballet class every day. I started when I was nine years old, and I'm 39 now. So that's a lot of ballet classes. You, you do every day, except today you're missing class for this. Michael, Michael <laughs> says to me the other day, he's like, oh, it's at 9.30. And I was like, that's when class is. Yeah. I was like, I'm missing class for this? I was so mad. And I'm still mad. Yeah. Well, it's important. Yeah. I mean, I've been retired for six years. I do bar every day here. Who knows why? But it's just an, like so ingrained in us. And it's like, I, I don't know. I can't compare it. I, uh, a friend of mine who's learning about ballet but doesn't know much um, 
Scotty, was just like, I don't understand. Why do you need to take class every day? What is, what is it? What is it? I mean, how else do you think our butts look this good? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, does a, like a violinist need to, you know, tune as much as we do? You know, I, I, I guess I feel like it's, it's kind our bodies. Of, it's yeah. our bodies. It yeah. makes sense. Yeah. What we do is not human. Yeah. And it is not natural. And in order to not be injured and to continue to work for, this is a lot, like look at a runner or a, a gymnast. They stop at like 24. We're doing this into our 40s. Some, some women tend to do it into their 50s. We have to maintain our bodies. It's important. Mm -hmm. That's why we do it every day. Mm -hmm. And mental illness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the theme of this show. Uh, Spencer, can you Hi. talk, uh, tell us a little bit about what your long-term goals are for your career and how this experience at Vail is uh, setting you up for that. Okay. Well, I'm going into my senior year of college at CalArts. Um, and when I graduate, I'll probably <coughs> audition for companies, but... I don't know. By then, I'll maybe want to do something like acting or something else. But not not something else, though, because I'll still want to dance. But <laughs> I want to broaden my horizons, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Can I ask a couple questions? Yes. Wait, okay? get Sorry. in there. I yeah. would love. So uh, you have a very large social media following. Mm -hmm. And I know firsthand that that can open a lot of doors as it has you're here because yeah. of social media and for me uh, I got a book deal out of social media mm -hmm. so how do you want to leverage your following in the next couple of years uh, into opportunity what mm -hmm. opportunities do you want that are not so company related um, like I said I'm really interested in acting I really like acting um, being at an art school I'm surrounded by actors and they all really inspire me um, and I'm also really interested in um, drawing I really want to I make a children's book one day mm. um, and like illustrate it and write it. Um, and I feel like social media will really help me with all of that. I mean, I have this following um, and I want to, I want to use it, you know Absolutely. what I mean? So are you represented by an agent currently? I am not. I would love for you to give me advice because <laughs> <laughs> okay. it's about time. Okay, I'm going to help you out here. Thank you. We're going to get you that book deal. Yes, the We're book deal. We're going to get you an agent. <laughs> you should be making so much money right now. Please help me. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, uh, and do it now because, you know, as we've said, dancing does not last forever. Mm. At and also, all. if I were 20, I think I would probably be getting a lot more opportunities in that sort of influencer space. It's mm -hmm. hard for a 39-year-old, like, dad shows up on your feed trying to sell you, like, a milkshake, and you're like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> so I think, Spencer, milkshake. we're going to get you hooked up. Thank you. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Spencer, so you, you're going to college. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit about that decision a little bit? Like, you could have gone into a company immediately mm. following high school. Yeah. What made you want to continue your education? Um, okay, well, I really, well, ABT was my dream company. Part of the reason why I went to was. that. Was. Well, <laughs> bye. <laughs> could still be. Who knows? I don't know. You never know. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I um, really wanted to dance at ABT. And then when the time arose, when I was 17, that sort of just didn't happen. Um, and I knew that there was more about dance that I wanted to learn other than ballet. Um, I knew that I, I was really interested in contemporary dance um, and hip hop and other styles, but I didn't know, I didn't know anything. So I was like, well, I think maybe I should figure that out. Um, so I went to college. I auditioned for CalArts. 
Um, and that's where I've been for the past four years. Mm. Yeah. So as we know, at the Bell Dance Festival, things can, can kind of happen last minute, or um, you get put into things that are not um, necessarily repertory options in your company that you are associated with. So I kind of thought it'd be fun to hear like a, a, a dream scenario of what to dance in Veil from your lips to Damien Wetzel's ears. <laughs> Something that you might not otherwise um, find yourself performing. Mm. I haven't done like super classical ballet in a really long time. So I'd want to do something like very, very intensely classical. I'm not sure what that would be. Yeah, I think you would thrive in a Born and Ville pas de deux or pas yes. de or something. Yes. Damien loves to program Born and Ville dances. And a lot of us are old and broken and don't really want to <laughs> do them. <laughs> so I think Spencer. Born and Ville? I think a flower festival from you would serve. Mm -hmm. Flower would festival? Agree? Yeah. There, there's a, a Born and Ville pas de toi on one of the programs. Yes. Philip's Phillip. yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah Philip's yeah. doing it. We just got to put some glass in the, in the ballet shoe. And then oh, my God. <laughs> oh, the 70s are back. No <laughs> so sorry, Philip. <laughs> no, we love Philip. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we have a good amount of time to open the floor to audience questions, if anyone would like to ask something. And we're going to bring a mic over to you. <laughs> I was wondering if you would be willing to share your struggles with mental health, if you've had any, how you deal with them, and then the bigger picture of dance and what that, we've all heard about eating disorders, other issues, and anything you're willing to share about that. Sure, I can start. So I am one of the few people in the world who do not suffer from mental illness other than extreme dedication and drive. I am very comfortable in my head, and I do get insecure like anybody, but I feel very confident and comfortable and delusional at times in the best way, and I'm very grateful for that. And, you know, honestly, I get really frustrated with the way ballet is portrayed in film, television, in the media, even in, like, the New York Times and just the way people choose to be a journalist with regards to ballet frustrates me. I think ballet is exceptionally beautiful and important as an art form, and I would not have dedicated my entire life to this art form if that were not so. So I am confident, comfortable, and I love it, and I feel great. Great yeah, Okay. <laughs> I don't even know. I would say something very similar. I also am one of the few people who's pretty comfortable in their skin. I'm also very confident. Um, but yeah, no, definitely during quarantine, it was dark. Um, and I, I turned to dance to really get me out of that. And social media really helped with that. I, um, yeah, there was a time when I like didn't think ballet was going to work out or even dance in general. 2019 was like a hard year for that. Um, and yeah, um, really social media and this whole Instagram thing is really, has really helped me, um, build back the confidence that I lost. Spencer, I think that's really interesting. You, it seems like you kind of had an opposite experience to many people. You know, mm -hmm. you you were having your trying time right up into the pandemic, mm -hmm. and then it kind of jolted yeah. you into a new headspace. And mm -hmm. Yeah, it was weird. It was definitely, I, I mean, it was a time when performance wasn't available. That wasn't happening. But for me, it was the mo it was like the millions of people were watching me dance in my kitchen. Um, which is insane. Um, yeah, 
so it, it was definitely, yeah, it was big. Yeah. Any other questions? Let's do, or we can just, yeah. <laughs> See here, I can choose. <laughs> the publishing world is getting much more competitive, and among the authors of my age, there's a big debate. Do you focus on your work, or do you focus on building your social media presence, <laughs> and what do you put your time and energy in? And, and the question of whether the way to get the attention of an agent or a publishing house is to bring an audience you know, existing audience. So you're both at kind of different perspectives on that. If you could just, you know, talk a little bit about that uh, tension. Yeah, sure. So in order for something to be sellable, it has to be really high quality. And for a person without a social media following, if you want to be an author, you have to have an excellent product because publishing houses sadly do look at built-in buyers now. You know, I have a built-in buyer group. And there's no reason that I should be an author. I barely graduated high school. <laughs> I am smart enough to figure it out, and I know how to tell my story. I'm not writing, you know, a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel here. That's not to say I won't try, <laughs> but the likelihood is not. So same thing goes with social media. You have to be really, really good at it for it to work. You could have one hit, you know, and when I say a hit, like a viral video or something on TikTok or Instagram, and have no idea how to maintain that or grow your audience. I think I'm medium good at it. I think I got into social media at a time where you could be a little bad at it and still work it, work it you know? <laughs> um, and I think Spencer has a completely different take on it because uh, Spencer's whole persona is highly aesthetic and curated compared with what I've built. Uh, and whatever you're doing, the product has to be really good, otherwise people won't buy. Yeah. No more than that, Spencer? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Just, Just yeah. yeah. No, seriously. Period? <laughs> Period, no, really. <laughs> All right, next question. So my question is for James. You mentioned how you interpret a role and how you would want to build your own character or not make it too referential to someone else or how they played it. So I'm curious if you could maybe walk us through how you decide to play a player and what creative process goes into things that you feel like you could take license with. Like a lot of this choreography is known even for people who aren't like super familiar with some of, you know, the lesser traditional repertoires. Could you maybe speak to that and walk us through how you build out a character? Yeah, so I've learned a lot in the 21 years that I've been a professional, and I approach a character now very differently than I used to. I felt very pressured by the legacy of these roles and the people who have done them. And now I realized it's a bit of a revelation, actually, in acting and inhabiting a character. I am going to be different solely because I am me. Nothing I can do is going to completely erase me. People will come to see the show. They will see me, even though I'm playing Albrecht. And I don't have to comment or add on to everything in order to beg for people to believe that I'm doing it differently. It's going to be different. And I have to do the steps as they are choreographed. That's just what it is. That's what we do. And there is a touch of license technically here and there. But 
what I like to do now is to sort of disappear into another person. And no matter what, you're still going to see me. And that's kind of special. That was beautiful. Do you want me to? Sure. Thanks. Thanks. <clears throat> I, the social media discussion was fascinating, really interesting, and the different takes on it. Um, and so I, a couple of sort of comment questions. So James, you know, I've been following you for the last 10 years here at the Vail Dance Festival, and um, this comment about having trying to inhabit the, the characters that w come from the, from the past um, is an interesting part of it. And uh, I, I have to say that, I think I've told you this already, that when you did Star Stars and Stripes is a traditional thing that always seems to happen at Vail Dance Festival. I'm really getting tired of it in general. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I said, you, 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 it, you ruined it for everybody else for me going forward because of your performance. Your, the way you did that role was just spectacular. Thank you. So again, again another Thank congratulations. You. You're, and on, I haven't followed you on social media, but I follow James on social media, uh, partly because the other dancers that I follow too, I, the background that you get on sort of how you are as a human from social media seems to me to make me, help me understand better what you do when you're dancing. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder how much, I realize, you know, you decide what goes up there. So to what extent do you, do you censor your life when you put it on there or is it all out there? And I think more likely the latter than the former, but. Yeah, so ever since I got my first computer, I have not been shy about sharing whatever I want. <laughs> so I also, I mean, I, can, I know Spencer can speak to this, but you do have to serve the platform a little bit. You have to give the algorithm what it wants. Otherwise, you will drop off. And you, I, I, this is very jaded sounding, but I love the opportunities that I've been given because of all the work I've put into my social media platforms. So I want to keep everyone happy. I want to do things I want to do. And so fascinatingly enough, a lot of my followers really enjoy the behind the scenes look at what I do in the studios, backstage, dressing rooms, how I prepare for shows, what I eat, things like that that are you know, personal but reality. And I, I show as much as I'm willing and I'm comfortable with what I'm doing and I'm just glad people are amused by my jokes. <laughs> Well, and you the, sell more Veil Dance tickets, too. Yes, I love selling tickets. I feel very strongly about getting people in to see ballet. And I've been able to reach millions of people who follow me, not because I'm a ballet dancer, just because they think I'm funny or they like to see me walking around in heels. And the more eyes I can get on ballet, the happier I am. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your, your recent uh, behind-the-scenes look at your Met life experience is my favorite thing you've ever posted. So if anyone has not seen that, it's hysterical. <laughs> Go look at James's Instagram and TikTok, probably. Yeah, I, got, yeah. I got that, too. Yeah. yeah. So th this is a mundane question, but I'm having real difficulties at 8,000 feet. How do you prepare as dancers to do what you do, which is so strenuous, at this height? Spencer, do you feel it? I definitely feel it. I've felt it the past few days. When I got here, I did the first class. I was like, oh, this is fine. This is fine. Um, no, 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 not anymore. Um, yeah, we ran that first Larry rehearsal, and I, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 seconds, and I was dying. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely feel it. Water, that's how, that's how I deal. Lots of water. Constant having to pee. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I it really affects me as well. Um, I am a person who prides themselves on being sort of a stamina queen. You know, I can sort of keep going and have energy and, you know, I, I, I like that about my dancing. I don't appear to tire. And here, I'm like, oh God, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, I'm doing a 10 minute pot and I look like I've just gotten out of the shower. It's it's hard. It's really really hard. I get tired just going up the stairs to my hotel room. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Y- year to year, though, is it one of those things like the first time? Let's just say like a Swan Lake. Like your first Swan Lake, you know you're gonna die and you're terrified of dying, but then it doesn't necessarily get easier. But you kind of have like a an awareness of what to expect. Like you can't obviously maintain your altitude stamina year to year, but like, are you, do you just come and you're like, well, this is what it is, and I'm, Absolutely. I accept. Absolutely. Also, have I died? No. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I do a, a long, difficult ballet at altitude or sea level, I feel like I'm going to die, but I haven't died yet. <laughs> so that's an important thing to remember. And you know, I do these things over and over again, so you do have knowledge of what it's gonna feel like, which is really important. But here, it always feels different. And you're like, Mm -hmm. well, maybe I will die this time. (laughs) (laughs) Did we have any other questions right here? Just one. um, Back here, sorry. I thought someone else was going to ask, so I waited to the end. But uh, we've really enjoyed watching you dance, James, over the years. And Spencer, we're looking forward to seeing you in your career. Um, But hearing you sing sounds like a hoot. So do you know what your itinerary is, where you're going to be in the one-man show? Or yes. Can we find so, information? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, the, the play is called Dead Center, and it is in Aspen Theater's Solo Flights Festival. And my performance dates are September 12th and 14th. That took me a moment. And uh, you can buy tickets on their website at Aspen Theater. And you know, it is a workshop performance, so it's not built out completely with sets and costumes and everything. So this is the first chance to see something that may or may not be good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's do down. Uh, let's get the mic over to you first. <laughs> Hi, James. Um, I was uh, think when I saw ABT this summer. One of the things that struck me was that more than previously, they were not partnering people regularly with, everybody seemed to be partnered with somebody different for a different ballet. And I wondered how that affects you. Is it easier to work over several ballets with a single partner? Um, Is there something exciting about working with a new partner for each ballet? Um, How does that affect your performance? I think they schedule people with different partners on purpose to promote growth between partners and so you don't get too comfortable with one person. So I dance with Isabella Boylston a lot. She's my best friend. And they completely separated us this year. So we did not do one ballet together. And you know, we asked, and, and they say we look ver- like almost too comfortable on stage with one another. It's too familiar. And they want to challenge us to explore different ways with other people, which I respect. Sadly, I miss dancing with Isabella. And I will be dancing with her again this fall. Uh, which I can't talk about yet, but stay tuned. Um, I was just about to say, I was about to be like, it's this. (laughs) It's not announced yet. Um, So, of course, I want to dance with my friend, you know, but I agree with their methods because I do learn more from dancing with multiple partners. 
It's like sex. <laughs> <laughs> That's getting cut. Let's do <laughs> one more question in the back here. If I can ask one more. Um, you're doing the Romeo bal balcony scene, and I'm thinking you must have done it earlier in your career when you were closer to being a teenager. And so as you talk about getting into a character over the years, what changes have you made mentally in terms of you know, still trying to think of yourself as a teenager? The older I get, the better I am at changing the way I look on stage. Um, and I've learned so much about body language in acting. We don't deliver lines as ballet dancers. We get out there, and it's all in the angle of your head, the simple things like how open your eyes are, um, the set of your shoulders or your chest, whether you're standing on two feet or one foot with a, a hip out or something. It, it's all body language. And I've learned so much about that at ABT. ABT has such an emphasis on theater. It's incredible. And I've seen really beautiful, moving performances from people I admire who have taught me so much. So when I have to be, uh, I think he's 16 in the play, I'm 39 years old, and I ask you to suspend your belief, <laughs> or your disbelief, rather. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's all we have time for today. But as James put it, you can come see him do something pretty decent this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm hopefully going to be decent. <laughs> Good luck, all of you in the audience. And Spencer, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you dance thank as you. well. Thanks, everyone. Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit conversationsondancepodpod.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.